Well, good morning. I'm here because Pastor Steve is not. I'm Pastor Mike French, and of course, Pastor Steve and Natalie are in the Holy Land, sitting on a camel, obviously. I don't think they're still there, but obviously they were there for a moment, and I hope they were careful because camels spit. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so glad to see you today, and the, the verse of scripture that I want to start with, it's kind of the key verse for the whole thing, is Acts 4, 13 through 14, and it says, Now when the Jewish leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and found out they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and realized that they had been with Jesus. Ordinary and bold, but they had taken note that they had been with Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for your presence here, your promises that says where two or more are gathered together, you are right here in our midst. We welcome you. We pray and give you uh, permission, Lord, to have your way here, your perfect will here. We ask you to touch each and every person. You know what's going on in every person and every body here. And God, we just ask you to just touch each one, uh, heal people who need to be healed, touch people who need to be touched in any way, give comfort to those who need comfort. But God, we just pray that you will just do your work here today. And we thank you for it. And Lord, please make me a nail upon the wall and upon this thing so insignificant and small hang a great big picture of thy wonderful smiling face in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, anyway, I'm so happy to be here today. I got my notes on my phone, so if I lose my place, I will just tell you to visit among yourselves for a minute as I try to find, because I lost my my way one day here, and, and I looked a little startled up here, because guess what? I was. Well, anyway, um, I'd like you to do something. If you're not healthy, don't do it. But if you feel, if you feel all right, could you move, uh, sitting on your seat, could you move as far left to your, your own seat as you possibly can for a moment? Just kind of squeeze to the left a little bit. Okay, now, now squeeze a little bit right to the other side. Could you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, good, good. And now put your back against the back and kind of go like this. Well, great. You know, I, I thought at least we could dust the seats while the pastor was away. You know, that, that would help, you know, do something. We got to do something. And everybody can do something. Also, I was told years ago, they said, when you prepare a message and you start, you got to say something funny because it causes endorphins, whatever endorphins are. You know, those things that, that, that rise up in people, it makes them feel good, they like you better and all that. Well, I don't know about that because humor is kind of subjective, you know, and what you think is funny, somebody else doesn't. So sometimes I just settle for interesting, you know what I mean? So I looked up a couple of interesting things that may or may not be funny. Uh, How many of you remember the Flintstones? Oh, good. Did you know, you're not going to believe this, interesting as it may be, that most, that there are a lot of people who don't really care for the Flintstones, But interesting enough, and here's the interesting part, most people who live in Abu Dhabi do. Okay, now if you know the Flintstones, you'll get that joke, okay. Also, another interesting fact that I just couldn't believe it, but did you know that on the Canary Islands, there are no canaries? And, and, And the same thing can be said about the Virgin Islands. There are no canaries there either. What were you thinking? Okay, um, also, 
Another interesting fact, did you know that the life expectancy for men in the United States is 77? And you know what my next birthday is? You guessed it. But I want to tell you, I've been looking around me, and people live longer, and they stay healthier longer these days. For the most part, there are exceptions. But anyway, I looked around me, and I saw people my age climbing mountains, going hiking, riding bicycles, boating, canoeing, and going to the gym and working out. And here I am, just so proud of myself that this morning I was able to get both feet through my shorts without falling over. <laughs> now that, that, was, that was me, you know, so not everybody's in the same thing. But anyway, today the, the, my topic is, uh, or subject or title for my message is Ordinary People. Look around you. How many supermodels do you see? How many super athletes do you see? How many actors and actresses? I think they're all actors. Something something happened along the way. Do you see? You don't because most people are ordinary people. And guess what? God loves ordinary people. That's why he made so many of us. Really, they're everywhere. In fact, you know, uh, the, the television and movie industry lie to us. I mean, they don't put ordinary people on those shows. Have you noticed that? No ordinary people. They're beautiful people. You could go down to the mall and hang out all day long, and you wouldn't see people like that. Remember the love boat? I mean, I'm not trying to say it was a great show, but years ago, there used to be the love boat, and there were no ordinary people on that show. Now, Susan and I went on a cruise to Alaska. It was wonderful. But I looked around and said, none of those people were on our boat. They all looked like us. We look like fruit, you know. I, why, by that I mean we look, we look like um, pears, yeah. <laughs> oranges and watermelons, that sort of thing. But we don't look like those people who have to run around in the shower to get wet, you know, the skinny ones. Uh, no, we're ordinary people. But guess what? They're everywhere, they're everywhere, they're everywhere. Ordinary people. And guess what? You're not going to believe this, but God put his son Jesus into an ordinary-looking body. I know, I know you, you're going to say, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us virtually nothing about what he looked like, except that he didn't stand out in any particular way. He didn't stand out um, because, see, I lost my place already. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, before the crucifixion, Matthew 26, 47 through 56, Judas Iscariot had to point him out. Because why? Because he blended in. And presumably, um, and also, he was able to pass through crowds without being noticed. You can read about that in Luke 4.30 and John 8.59. I'm not just making this stuff up. That's the way it was. And we can also read, um, uh, in describing the Messiah, in uh, Isaiah 53, 2, it says this. It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract, majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, he was pretty ordinary looking. Now, he was fully God, holy God inside, but God put him in an ordinary person. 
And also, Jesus, what did, who did he choose? He chose ordinary people. Ordinary people. Oh, by the way, I want to interrupt my message here with a little thank you to whoever selected those songs. Weren't those wonderful songs? My favorite songs. Who, who did that? Was that you, Alice? Oh, thank you. How did you know? I love those songs. But anyway, Jesus chose ordinary folks. Um, and we read Acts 4:13 or 14 where it said, Now when the Jewish leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and found out they were uneducated and ordinary men, and they, they were amazed and they, they had noted that they had been with Jesus. Wow. Okay. His disciples were simple, ordinary men with a weak, basic faith. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. Who would put a tax collector on your team? Jesus did. Good grief. You know, people didn't like them. Uh, Simon was a zealot. What in the world is a zealot? Well, a zealot was a political activist, and the zealots were a sect in, uh, during the time, and they were out to throw, overthrow the Roman government. You wouldn't put one of those on your team. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus did. We aren't told what the occupations of the other disciples were, but I bet you anything they were just common, ordinary folks. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul said about that, and you can read about this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. It says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential, influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify those things that are. What does that mean? Things that aren't, uh, to nullify things that are You know, the invisible things too. So that no one may boast before him. That's why. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption from him. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself. And then 1 Corinthians three eighteen through 23, if what I haven't read wasn't enough to convince you already, said, let no one deceive himself. If anyone you, among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or the life of death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Mine. Is that clear? Anyone confused about that? Throughout Scripture, we see God using imperfect people. How many imperfect people are here? Wait, that's me too. Okay. Uh, he, he chose imperfect people for the sake of his mission. Jesus didn't call the popular, rich, successful to further his ministry, but rather the poor, broken, but faithful. Wow, that is really great. From an outside perspective, we can see that it didn't matter where people were from 
what they had done and who they used to be, God used all people for good of his will. Don't believe me? Here are some examples of people that are used uh, for the greatness of God's glory. Who did God use? Who did he use? Abraham. He was old. And so was Sarah. Elijah. Well, Elijah, man, he did a lot of great things, but he went and hid in a cave. And he said, oh, take my life. He was suicidal. Joseph, well, he was abused by his brothers and, and uh, sold into slavery and all that. But anyway, Job, well, he was the wealthiest man during his time. But guess what? He went bankrupt. Moses, well, Moses had a speech problem. When he was talking to the burning bush and God was saying, uh, I have an assignment for you. I'm going to send you to, to deliver my children. Then um, Moses objected and says, well, I'm slow of speech. I love what God said. He said, who makes mouths? Don't I make a man speak or not to speak? That's God. God. God makes your mouth. So if you ever feel like you can't speak somewhere, remember, who makes mouths? Gideon. Well, Gideon, he was afraid. Angel showed up and said, great man, a uh, great warrior of God. And Gideon stood around and said, who's he talking to? Well, you know, but he was afraid. He had to test God, put the fleece out. It had to be wet, had to be dry. You know how that was. He was a doubter. Then there was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. You know, she was the one that helped the spies. And you can find her name in the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that amazing that that name is there? Then there was a Samaritan woman that Jesus spoke to, you know, at the well. And, and she was a, a divorced. And she had several men in her life. So anyway, then there was Noah. Well, Noah, we know about Noah. He had found favor in the God, but he was also a drunk. You can read that. There he was. And then Jeremiah, well, he was really young. And then Jacob, well, you know Jacob, he was a cheater. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. And then there was David. Well, David, what can you say? Well, David was an ordinary guy, kind of, you know. He was, he was out working with the sheep, but he was also an adulterer, and he was also a murderer. But yet, but yet. Then there was Jonah. Jonah ran from God. God told him to go to Nineveh. He got on a boat, and he went to Joppa. The opposite direction. But hey, guess what? He got a free ride back to where he was supposed to go. That's true. Okay, then there was Naomi. Well, Na who was Na Naomi was a widow. And then, then there was Peter. And there was my place. Okay, all right. Um, Naomi, Naomi, where is she? Uh, she was a widow. And then Peter, well, t you know who Peter was. And he denied God or Jesus, three times. He was a denier. And then there was Martha. Well, Martha was a complainer, and she was a worrier, wasn't she? And then Zacchaeus, well, he was a little guy hanging up in a tree. Or well, he, not hanging up there, but he was, he was up in the tree so he could see Jesus. And Jesus said, told him, he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. But he was a little guy. Then uh, the disciples, well, you know them, they, they were full of faults, but they, they couldn't even stay awake, and they slept uh, during praying time. And then Paul, well, Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians until he became one. And so look, I mean, look who God uses. God can use everybody. Oh, guess what? He can use you, too. Yes, he can. And uh, Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Have you been called? Wait a minute. Yes, you have. Everyone has been called. The Bible says many are called. It's only few that are chosen. 
Yes, we're all called to be God's servants and to do what God has placed us on this earth to do. Don't think that's not so because it is. If you ever feel like you aren't worthy enough, remember that God used a bunch of flawed people to share hope to a flawed world. In him we find renewal and mending. Jesus didn't call the equipped. He equipped the called, which is you, okay? And no matter what uh, you've been through in life, remember that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is where? In you. That's right. And Romans eight eleven says, but if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Wow, did you get that? That's amazing. Yes, God does use ordinary people, and he can use you. The fact is, he uses ordinary people to do his work in the lives of ordinary people. I remember Susan, she, I'm going to tell when we, I met her at a coffee house, and all of the hippie Christians were sharing with everybody, and I was sharing with everybody, and she said, well, I don't have that kind of personality to share with people. I'm quiet, and you, if you know her, she really is. But she went and sat down at a table, and guess what? Here come a quiet woman just like her in and sat down. And the two of them visited and shared. Guess what? Because God brought someone like her that she could talk to. And that's what happens with us. He, they're called neighbors. They're called people we work with. They're called family. But he uses ordinary people, and he, reaches us, he uses us to reach ordinary people, oftentimes people like us, sometimes people who aren't like us. Okay, um, here are some ordinary folks who worked in my life. Now, all, oftentimes people don't know that they're being used of God. They don't know it. Um, I told you the story, I think, one time before, but it was so good I'm going to tell it again. It's how I met the guy who saved my life, literally, was Gene Dawkins. And, um, and I call, my story about how I met him, I call the worst day of my life that I had. And it was. I mean, I lived in Sitka, Alaska. I was around 21 years old. I worked at a little grocery store, you know, putting uh, food on the shelves. I was a, a food stock, shelf stalker. That's what I did. And uh, one day I went to work. And as soon as I arrived at work, the boss called me in and he said, you're fired. I said, why? And he accused me of sneaking out the day before, before my shift was done. And honestly, Lord is my witness, I did not do that. I was there, and I tried to argue with him, and he just told me to get out of the store. And so I went home, and there were my friends having a party in my apartment. You know, in Sitka, we didn't shut our doors. My friends were welcome, but right now, I didn't feel like a party. Here they were having a party, and I said, party's over, go home. And you know what they did? They beat me up, bloodied my face, threw me out in the snow. I was shocked. How come that happened? So then I went over to my landlord who lived a few houses away, knocked on the door, and he opened the door and took one look at me and said, what happened to you? And I told him what had happened. I said, my friends had beat me up, and, and, uh, and I said, I need you to come to my apartment and get them out. And he started yelling at me. Instead of helping me, he said, I wasn't supposed to have parties in the apartment. And he said, I'm calling the cops. 
And I didn't want to be there when the cops came, so I took off. And I went to the only place else I could think of, which was my parents' house. And my stepfather, Roger French, the nicest guy on the planet, never said anything bad to anybody any time, took one look at me at the door, and he said, what happened to you? And I said, I told him what had happened. I said, I got fired for something I didn't do. I said, my, land, uh, my friends beat me up and threw me in the snow. And I said, the landlord called the cops on me. I have no place to sleep tonight. Can I sleep on your couch tonight, Dad? He said, absolutely not. It's time for you to grow up and be a man. He shut the door in my face and he turned out the light. And here I am in Alaska, freezing I didn't know what to do. I had no recourse. And so I'll show him. I thought, I'll go kill myself. I didn't know what else to do. So I thought, how will I do it? And I thought, well, I'll go jump into the, into, uh, the channel between uh, Mount Edgecombe, right near where we are, just jump in there and, and drown myself. Water is cold. You could only last a few seconds in there. But being the coward that I was, I thought I'd go get drunk first. So I went to a local nightclub, which was the Moose Lodge, right there on the water where I'd be handy. And I started drinking one drink after another. They had a little band playing music, off to, a little country band, three people, a woman playing drums and one man playing bass guitar and one man who was the leader of the group. And he, was, uh, he played lead guitar and he did most of the singing. Well, anyway, I was down to my last few dollars, enough to buy one more drink, so now I was going to do it. So I went up to the bar to get my last drink, and at that time, the band took a break, and Gene Dawkins, I didn't know that was his name at the time, he come up to the bar at the same time, and he's standing there, and I'm standing there, and our eyes met, and that's really awkward for two men, their eyes met, what do you do, you know, and, uh, and he said, how are you? And I said, do you really want to know, or are you just saying that? And he said, of course I want to know, and so I told him, I said, I got fired, for something I didn't do. My friends beat me up, threw me in the snow. Landlords called cops for, on me. I went to my dad's uh, uh, place and asked him if I could sleep on his couch and he turned the light off and shut the door in my face and I said, as soon as I'm done with this drink, I'm going to kill myself. And he said, no, no, don't do that. He said, we have a couch. <laughs> Come to our place. And I said, really? And he said, really? So I went to his place, and, uh, and they were kind to me, and they were nice to me. And eventually, I lived with them until it came, they, they were finally, their job was done there, and they were going move to move uh, to out of Alaska. I said, where are you going? And they said, Linden. I said, what's a Linden? <laughs> and, and, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And they said, come with me. And so anyway, um, I, I went with them. To Linden, and when I and my, during my time in the, in Linden, I, I found the Lord, and I went into the ministry. I met my wife, been married to her fifty some years, been in the ministry. But thank you, Gene Dawkins. God used Gene Dawkins to help me, and he didn't even know it. But you know what the Bible says? You know, I, God arranged these things. I know it. You know. God arranged these things. And, um, and, and it says in Hebrews 1.13, it says, Aren't angels messengers of God sent to minister to help to those who are going to inherit salvation? I, I wasn't a Christian yet, but God was doing all these things in the background. 
And I thought, man, that's really... I, I, I didn't get it until late, years later. When I was in Vietnam, it was always amazing that when I was in Vietnam, things would blow up right next to me, throw me up in the air, and I wouldn't get hurt. I, I drove a Jeep on the DMZ, and I would arrive places right after they blew up and leave just before they did. I mean, it was miraculous. You know, I could hear bullets whiz past me as snipers would shoot at me, and they would miss. You know, obviously... Obviously, something was happening that I, I didn't understand. Until, and here's the next person, Mrs. McGrew. She's the key to this whole thing. Mrs. McGrew. Who is Mrs. McGrew? I'm glad you asked. I wasn't a religious person. I grew up in foster care system. My mom was married several times, lived with different foster fathers, you know, various things, whatever you, you, you say, you know. Um, but one place I lived was down in Fortuna, California, back in the 1950s when I was a little boy. And a Sunday school bus came through our neighborhood. And it said Nazarene Church on the outside. And they honked the horn and for kids to get on and go to Sunday school. And so I went just a few times. I think three to five times, that's all. But I remember my Sunday school teacher. She was a little old lady with a white bun. You know, if you want to know what she looked like, you remember Sylvester the cat and Tweety Bird? Well, there's a little old lady in there with the broom. That's Mrs. McGrew. I mean, and she was old. She had one foot in the grave, the other one kicking dirt. I mean, I'm not, t t I mean, she was, but anyway, she told Bible stories, you know, and, uh, and I, I listened to them, and, and I never heard about the plan of salvation or anything. I wished I had, but I, I didn't. But the thing was about her is she was just really a wonderful uh, Bible storyteller. Well, years later, after I'd moved to Linden, after I had accepted the Lord, and after I had, was going to Bible college and all that kind of stuff, one, some speaker said, they said, you didn't get here by yourself. You got here from the help of other Christians, and you need to thank them. So your assignment is to call up those Christians and thank them. I don't, I don't know anybody. I mean, I didn't grow up around. You know, I, I just couldn't think of anybody. Jane wasn't a Christian that I didn't know. I just didn't know that I thought of Mrs. McGrew. And I said, surely she's been in a grave a long time because she was old. You know, I mean, and... Uh, of course, you know, she was probably only 35, actually, when I think about it, because my, because my, my grandson, Gabriel, when he was starting the first day of junior high, I said, uh, how, how did you like school today? And he says, it was really good, except the teachers were old. And I said, really, how old? And he said, you know, like my mom, my daughter. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so, so, you know, we, when we're young, we think of they're older. Well, anyway, I didn't know whether she was alive or not. And, but I thought, well, I could call and find out. So I called Fortuna, California, called the Nazarene Church. And I said, uh, hi, I said, I told him who I was. And I said, uh, uh, when I was a little boy, I went to Sunday school there. And my, my Sunday school teacher was an old lady by the name of Mrs. McGrew. And he goes, ah, Willa McGrew, what a wonderful saint she is. I said, she is? He said, yeah. He said, she's in a local uh, rest home. But he said, she's still lucid. She's as bright as a dollar, he says. And she would love to hear from you. Here's her phone number. So, I mean, here's a, a old, I only went like three to five times, you know. And, 
and here I thought, well, okay. So I called, and she answered the phone, and, um, and I said, Mrs. McGrew, and she says, yes. And I said, I told her who I was. I said, my name is, is Mike Ray, and my name was Ray back then, but I said, my name is Mike Ray. And she said, oh, Michael Ray, yes, I remember you. In fact, she said, I pray for you every single day by name, as I do all my junior boys. And here was this old lady that I'd only gone a few times, and she prayed for me every single day. So let's look back at this story a minute, you know, with Gene Dawkins on my worst day of my life. What if, what if my boss hadn't have fired me that day? Thank you, Mrs. McGrew. What if my friends would have just gone home and, you know, like I told them, sort of beat me up and thrown me in the snow? Thank you, Mrs. McGrew. What if but my landlord would have gone over and helped me? Instead of, you know, calling the cops, <laughs> thank you, Mrs. McGrew. What if my dad would have let me sleep on the couch? What if Gene Dawkins hadn't have taken his break during that moment when I took my moment? What if he wouldn't have invited me to sleep on his couch? You know, it, you, know you might say, well, God wouldn't plan all those things. Well, wait a minute. Let's look at Joseph for a second. He got sold into slavery. He'd been by his own brothers. He, he, uh, Potiphar's wife, you know, where he was working, uh, she accused, she tried to seduce him and she accused him, you know, of, uh, to her husband and he was thrown into prison. All the stuff that happened to him. But he ended up being right where he needed to be to end up being second in command so that he could do what God's assignment was for him. I'm just saying, God works behind the scenes, and we don't even know it. Thank you, Mrs. McGrew. What about all those places where I could, t- I could tell you what it's, a bullet sounds like going by your ear? Sounds like a bee. Psst, psst, zip, zip. Thank you, Mrs. McGrew. I mean, I could tell you many other stories. Somebody had prayed for me every day by name. People, pray for your grandkids Pray for the people you come in contact with because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Mrs. McGrew, wonderful results, wonderful results. And then let me tell you about another person. Her name is Mildred. Now, Mildred, well, I should back up a second. During the 1970s and 80s, I was in charge of gospel music at the fair. We had a little stage and my job was to get people to sing during the fair at that little stage. I mean, you realize how hard it is to get 90 hours of gospel music and get people to go uh, to do that. That's what I did. And so I was calling everybody I could think of to get to come and sing at the fair. And one person I called um, told me, he said, hey, I know somebody who you should call. And I said, who? And they said, Mildred. I said, who's Mildred? And they said, well, she's a black gospel singer who happened to sing at our church this week, and she was wonderful. She's staying with a church lady, and I think she's still there. You might call her and see if she can come and sing at, at the fair. And I said, well, okay. You know, so I called. Mildred was odd, I will tell you. Uh, she t- spoke about herself in the third person. Do you ever talk to people like that? And I, I said, uh, Mildred, and she said, yes. And I said, would you come and sing at the fair? And I explained to her, and she said, 
Mildred always goes where Jesus provides for Mildred to go. Thank you, Jesus. I said, is that a yes? <laughs> and, and so anyway, when it came time for her to sing at the fair, first she showed up. She is a very large woman, black, beautiful woman with a radiant smile. She, when she smiled, her face just lit up. She had a black afro and she had a flower she put right there. And, and she wore a muumuu. You know, which one of those big tent dresses, and good grief, it fit. And she wore flip-flops. And when she sang, she put one foot in front of the other, and she just rocked like this. And one of the songs she sang was, Jesus got a hold of my life. And it was, Jesus got a hold of my life, and he won't let me go. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, it was, it, was, it was amazing. She was so good and wonderful, you know. And after she was through singing, a woman came up, and she was obviously touched by the singing, and she was weeping a little bit, and she said, Oh, Mildred, that was so wonderful. Would you come and sing at my place? What do you think Mildred said? Mildred always goes where Jesus provides for Mildred to go. Thank you, Jesus. I, I forgot to tell you, she, I, she was staying with the church lady, right? But the church lady also drove M Mildred around. That was what the church lady did. She, she was a widow. She had a house. She had a car. And when people came to her church, they knew they could count on her. You know, she was that kind of a person. So she was driving Mildred around. So she was standing there too, church lady and Mildred. And so Mildred said, I'll need a ride. And she turned to the church lady and said, Would you give Mildred, would you give Mildred a ride? And church lady said, oh, yes. And, uh, and so she got the address. And then, uh, and when she was supposed to show up and sing at this other person's business, and when they showed up and they saw what the business was, it was Bill's Tavern up in, uh, up in Blaine. You know where Loretta Lynn used to sing way back in the... But, but anyway, the church lady... She, she'd never gone into a place like that ever. You know, she didn't drink, smoke, dance, or chew, or hang around with those who do. You know those kind of people. But she was at church every time it was open, which is a good thing. But she turned to Mildred, and she says, Mildred, you can't go in there. And Mildred said, why not? And she said, that's a devil's place. And she said, well, they need Jesus. And Mildred always goes where Jesus provides for Mildred to go. Thank you, Jesus. And so she takes her little, she takes her little amplifier and her little tape deck, and she marches in. The church lady kind of behind her, and the church lady kind of slips in and puts her back against the back wall. Mildred sets up all of her stuff, and she starts singing all of her songs about Jesus with all the joy. And, uh, and there was this prostitute who was sitting up at the bar and all of a sudden the Lord touched her and she started crying and when Mildred was done she came up and she said Jesus really touched my life while you were singing and I'm giving up my lifestyle and I'm going to go I'm, I'm turning away from all of this thank you so much and she pulled out this enormous wad of money and she handed it to Mildred and she says this is for you to do what you what what you're doing Church lady leaned on Mildred, who was so thrilled to get that pile of money. She goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. And she's there just accounting it, you know. And, um, and the church lady, she leans over and says, Mildred. And Mildred says, what? And she said, you can't take that money. And Mildred said, why not? And she says, it's a devil's money. And Mildred said, devil's had it long enough. <laughs> well, that was.
was Mildred. I mean, Mildred was a woman. I never saw anyone like that that just absolutely was expecting God to meet every one of her needs. I, I got to know me Mildred for a while, and she was unusual. She threw herself birthday party when it was her, when it was her birthday. She, she, she went in, and she, st- she invited everybody to come, and she said, don't forget to bring presents. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and, and uh, that was Mildred. But I, I brought Mildred in here because Mildred is an example of an ordinary person who just expected God to meet every one of her needs. What a wonderful example. And guess what he did. So now what? Now that, um, that I brought all this stuff before you. So now what? Um, now that we've established that God uses ordinary people like you and me, what do we do to allow him to use us? I'm glad you ask. Okay, first of all, begin with yourself. Get prepared. How do you do that? Well, for one thing, you've got to make yourself usable. Make sure you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you ask God to use you as an ordinary person. Just say, say this, say, oh, I'm available. Watch out if you say that. <laughs> but anyway, and then if anybody asks you, if we walked up to you today and they said, could you tell me how I could become a Christian? Could you answer that question? Could you take a Bible or could you just off the top of your head, could you explain to them that the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? But why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. But we must, we must believe. We must turn away from our sin, and we must receive Christ personally, because the Bible says, for many as received him, to them he becomes, uh, you know, gives, for as many as received, received them, to them he gives the power to become their children. Could you explain that? So, you know, that if you believe in your heart, confess through your mouth that Jesus Christ and Lord, you'll be saved. Could you do that? That's where to begin. That's where to begin. You've got to know how to do that. Okay, um, I lost my place again. Let's see, there it is. Good. Oh, thank you for technology. All right, um, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. First Peter 3.15, there it is. Always be prepared. A few years ago, I used to teach the Soul Winners course here once, about once a year. And that was where I taught people how to share Christ. I taught them how to use a little booklet, you know, to share people, uh, share Christ with people by going through this little booklet with them. And there was a one woman that went to church here, and her name was Mary Beth. Maybe some of you remember Mary Beth. Beth she, had, she, was, she was a wife, and she had several children and a husband. You know, he was a school teacher. And... Uh, Mary Beth came to everything that we did. And so here she was, and she took the little course that we had. And at the end of the course, after I showed them how to share Jesus using the booklet, I said, I give you an assignment. Now I want you to go out, and I want you to share this booklet with somebody. Mary Beth came up to me, and she said, it'll never happen. She said, you're wonderful. You're wonderful, Mike. But I could never, ever, ever, ever share that booklet with anybody. It, it just won't happen. I said, yes, you can, Mary Beth. I said, God will give you the, a, a way to do it. And she says, Mike, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, but I'm not. And I said, well, I, I think you're wrong, Mary Beth. Well, it, next week was the fair. And Mildred was up singing, you know, that Mildred. And uh, she was singing the song, Jesus Got a Hold of My Life. And I looked out over the crowd, and there was a bench, you know, at the fair, kind of sitting back against the wall, and there sat Mary Beth. 
And there was another lady sitting next to him, and you could kind of see their little feet tapping during the music. And they were kind of having a little conversation. But after, after uh, uh, Mildred was through singing, here came Mary Beth. And she come marching up, and she goes, oh, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I says, what happened, Mary Beth? And she says, well... She says, I was sitting there on that bench and I was listening to that wonderful gospel music and there was a woman sitting next to me and she was listening too and we were both just tapping our feet and that woman said to me, she said, oh, can't you feel the Lord of that woman singing? And Mary Beth and I said, oh yeah, you sure can. Are you a Christian? And the woman says, oh no, I'm not. And Mary Beth said, I said, well, why not? And the woman says, well, I don't know how to become a Christian. And Mary Beth says, oh, it's easy. I just took this course, and they gave me this little booklet. Would you like to see the little booklet? I have it in my purse. And the woman says, oh, yes. And so she gets out the booklet, and she said, I began to show her the pages in the little booklet. And Mike, just when you said, you always have them read the page, and then you just turn the page after the through, she said, we got, finally got to the place where, where, where we prayed the prayer. And I says, do you want to pray the prayer with me? And she said, oh, yes. And I prayed with her, and she received Jesus. And I says, you're wonderful. <laughs> you see, why was Mary Beth able to do it? Because she was prepared. She was prepared to give an answer for the hope that was within her. So you want to be prepared. Okay, the Bible says, uh, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Second Timothy 4.2. Another thing you could do is you could learn to give your personal testimony. You know what a personal testimony is? It's, uh, a personal testimony is simply one beggar telling another beggar, beggar where, to where, where to find bread. It's you sharing your story with somebody else. An example of that in the Bible was uh, a blind man was healed. And he was healed, and, the, and Jesus went on, and the blind man was brought in by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they started asking him a bunch of religious questions. He says, I don't know any of that stuff. All I know was I once was blind, but now I see. That was his personal testimony. You can't argue with a person's testimony. You can argue theology. You can argue all kinds of stuff, but you can't really argue with what happened to a person because guess what? It happened to that person. And it's a very powerful, powerful thing. So another thing you can do is you can use evangelistic tools and tracks, little books. You know, get them. You can, uh, you can go to the Gospel Track Society online and you can see hundreds of little gospel booklet, booklets just like the one I found one night when I was out drinking with my friends. We, uh, I, looked, I was looking in a glove box to try to find some matches. Didn't find matches, but I found a little gospel book. And in it was the plan of salvation. I'd never seen that before. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. If I turned him for my sin, if I received him, he would be. And my friends came back. I threw the little book. You know, they were in, in the store. I threw the little booklet back into uh, the glove box, went out and continued, continued drinking. And the next day, I had a terrible hangover, but I was driving down the Guide Meridian. This was over 50-some years ago. And I, I thought, why, oh, why, oh, why do I continue to drink? Why do I do this? I thought of that little booklet. And uh, I thought, well, maybe Jesus could help me. 
I didn't know any theology. I didn't know anything. And, uh, and I just prayed a desperate prayer. And I said, Lord Jesus, if you died on the cross, if you did all that stuff, help me, help me. I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't fix myself. I need you. Please, please help me in Jesus' name. Please. Something happened to me at that moment. My hangover went away. I felt just absolutely a lightness come off of me. And from that moment on, I was born again. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, how God came into my life in, in my moment of desperation. Thank you, Mrs. McGrew. You know, I'm just telling you, don't, don't you think that your prayers don't, aren't, aren't important. They are. Which, um, so pray for your neighbors. That's another thing you could do. Invite others to your home. That's another thing to do, you know, because uh, when, you, when you invite your neighbors to your home, you get to know them, give them a meal, you know, and visit with them. But maybe God will give you an opportunity to share Christ with them. Invite others to church. Did you know that most people come to church if you invite them, but most people won't go to church unless you don't invite them? Because you drive around, you see all these churches, but you don't know when they start. You don't know what they do in there. You know, you, you don't know when it ends. You know, you, you don't know what you're supposed to wear. You, you, you know, you, you just don't know what you don't know, so you don't go. But if you invite somebody to go to church, most of the time they'll say yes. Did you know that? Most. And, and so we could fill this church with all you doing is inviting some neighbors each week. Really, fill this church in short order because most people would say yes, and once they're here, they would hear the gospel. Uh, Another thing you could do is open your home to youth ministries. You know, like Child Evangelism Fellowship. We had a, a CEF club in our, our neighborhood. We had 60 kids coming in there. That was the old Rathbone and Croft, Crofton. Uh, 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 you were there. and <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, uh, it, it was wonderful how, how God used that club. So many kids came and accepted the Lord in that club, you know, and, and, uh, and boy, I mean, you know, just all you have to do is open your home and child evangelism will, will come, you know, and, and do it. Okay, um, and I'm going to close with a short story. I'm going to try to get to it real quick. It has a point. Ask God to give you creative opportunities to use what you already have in your hand to use what you already have in your hand. Here's an old story about a psychiatrist, Dr. Milton Erickson, and his advice given to a reclusive woman who was lonely, depressed, and suicidal, and what happened to her after taking his great advice. The ailing 52-year-old spinster lived in a rambling Victorian house with the heavy draperies drawn and dust gathering on faded upholstered furniture. Now wheelchair-bound due to illness, the woman rarely went to church and activity which had been her only social spiritual sustenance for many years she became isolated and depressed yes and even suicidal the woman's nephew was a client of erickson's and knowing the doctor would soon be traveling to milwaukee for a speaking engagement asked him to if he would be willing to call on his beloved aunt who lived there and dr erickson agreed when Erickson arrived, the aunt invited him in and showed him around her gloomy house. It appears as if nothing had been changed for many years. The furniture and household decorations showed a faded glory, smelling of must. Erickson was struck by the fact that all the curtains were kept closed, making the house a depressing place to be in. The aunt saved the very best for last. She saved the very best for last, however, and finally ushered Erickson into her greenhouse nursery. 
This was her pride and joy. She had a green thumb and spent many happy hours working with the plants. She proudly showed him her latest project, taking cuttings from African violets and starting new plants. Now, Erickson told her that he thought depression was not really her problem. It was clear to him that her problem was that she was not a very good Christian. Well, she was taken aback by this and she began to bristle until he explained. Here's what he said. He said, here you are with all this money, time on your hands and a green thumb, and it's all going to waste. What I recommend is that you get a copy of your church membership list and then look at the latest church bulletin. You'll find announcements of births, illnesses, graduations, engagements, and marriages in there, all the happy and sad events in the life of people in your congregation. Make a number of African violet cuttings and get them well established, then repot them in gift pots and have your handyman drive you to the homes of people who are affected by these happy or sad events bring them a plant and your congratulations or condolences and comfort whichever is appropriate to the situation hearing this the woman agreed that perhaps she had fallen down on her Christian duty and she agreed to try it 20 years later in the Milwaukee Journal a future article appeared with a large headline that read African Violet Queen of Milwaukee dies mourned by thousands the article detailed the life of this incredibly caring woman who had become famous for her trademark flowers and her charitable work and with people in the community for many years preceding her death. Her last years were filled with many wonderful friends, a loving purpose, and much happiness, all because she had learned to reach out to others in need and show herself to be friendly to them. Proverbs 18.24 says, To have friends, you must show yourself to be friendly, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and of course we know that's Jesus. Okay, the golden rule is to do unto others as you'd have them do unto others. We all have ministries. We're going to close right now because I always close on time, although I wished I had another 10 minutes. But anyway, uh, so shall we pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you use ordinary people. You love ordinary people. You do wonderful things extraordinary things through ordinary people. God, I pray for each person here. I pray that you would touch each heart, each life, stir each one of us up to do good works, to use that which you've already put in our hands. And we thank you for it. We ask you to bless them, bless their health, bless their families, bless their lives, and give them your directions, Lord, so that they become good Christians, so to speak, as they use the things that you've already put in their hands and give them the ability to get prepared so that you can use them wherever they are and we thank you for it in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen